Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. If you're new to the show, I just want to say thank you for giving us the only non-renewable resource that you've got won't get back. So hopefully you get a return on that investment. That is your time. And your attention, of course, is a precious resource as well. And I'm glad that you've dedicated both to the next 60 or so minutes of your education. Today's entrepreneur is someone that I met serendipitously while I was traveling to EarthX down in Dallas uh, this year. Cynthia Adams is an entrepreneur who has experience across the construction landscape as well as policy and developing sustainability protocols and green building standards for the last couple of decades. Cynthia identified the problem. We just don't have a way to help homeowners value homes that have made substantial sustainability or green updates the way that we do in the commercial space. If you, like me, have worked in the commercial space, you're familiar with LEED, a certification protocol that ensures that buildings get graded and qualified for the sustainability measures they put in place. Well, as you'll hear today, that doesn't exist for homeowners. And as a result, tragically, homeowners who thought they were investing in an improvement to their home, which in fact, we all agree they are, are getting docked for things like solar and other efficiency upgrades. Pearl certification is here to solve that. We're gonna hear how the idea and the business occurred to Cynthia as we get into the story. I hope that you will take a moment and subscribe to the show if you listen through and this turns out to be exactly the kind of thing that you're looking for, education to help you improve your business or your career as you seek to make meaning in the clean energy revolution. You found the right place. More than 600 episodes in our back catalog are proof that we have invested time interviewing the who's who of the industry on the front lines, taking on climate change through energy transition and transformation. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to just quickly let you know that I think this is something that you're going to be super interested in following up on, drilling down on uh, in terms of finding out more information. The best way to learn more about Pearl is to go to mysuncast.com forward slash Pearl. That will get you to a page that Pearl has set up to explain everything about their product. Cynthia does an amazing job in this interview, and I'm certain that more than a few of you are going to want to learn more. So that's enough for now. We'll get to the episode. I'll also mention this in the outro for those of you that do stick around. Thank you. I want to read you something that I found on the Pearl certification website by way of introducing Cynthia Adams. And it says, every home has a story, just like the family that lives in it. My education on how a house can impact your life began quite personally with a family member who developed asthma like symptoms after moving into our quote new home that had moisture issues and quite sketchy ventilation. I think we can all uh, appreciate that. Certainly those of us live in the South. 
Whether it's a health, comfort, or high bill issue, we don't have to just, quote, put up with our homes. With Pearl, you get a chance to help homeowners of existing homes upgrade what they've got into the comfortable, high-performing, and affordable-to-operate home that they deserve. Uh, That, of course, is on the homepage of Pearl Certification. The founder of Pearl is Cynthia Adams. Cynthia, I'm so glad to finally have you here on Suncast. Thank you so much, Nico. I couldn't be more pleased to be here today. Excited for the conversation. Absolutely. So I'd love to ask, uh, well, I like to start off in the beginning. Uh, I'm a bit of a quote hoarder. And so I like to start off with some of my favorite or most inspiring quotes. Today's quote is by Annie Dillard. And it's quite simple. The way we live our days is the way we live our lives. It's a reminder to each and every one of us that uh, you don't have to look to the past or the future, but rather what you're doing right now as evidence of what tomorrow is going to look like. Uh, because success leaves clues. And hopefully you are taking action. Certainly listening to the podcast is one concrete action you can take towards living today in a way that's going to impact yours and many other lives in the future. Cynthia, do you have a quote that you find particularly inspiring you'd like to share with the Suncast audience? Sure. And I'll also say that I'm a big Annie Dillard fan. So I love the quote that you shared. Uh, Mine is from the poet Rumi. And it is, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. And what I like about it is powerful. Yeah, it it underscores the connectedness that we have um, as as creatures to our planet and to each other and the way in which we can share perspective and pull from a sort of communal source. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in the the various sorts of climate challenge times that we live today, it's really important that we take in really understand and absorb that sense of connectedness because it's it's uh, it's an issue that affects us all and it's an issue that we all have a role to play in addressing. Indeed. I've found, as I've introduced this quote segment to the beginning of the episode, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised the number of folks who bring Rumi as their quote. So I love, I love Rumi um, and, uh, and lots of philosophers um, look to Rumi as an inspiration. Um, that's a quote I had not heard, and it is—it's uh, phenomenal. I think that we could spend an entire portion of the conversation just unpacking the wisdom of uh, of the ages that have been passed down in quotes from folks like Rumi and and uh, Annie Dillard. So, if we had the time, we would. But today, we want to dig into the core problem that we want to discuss: homeowners and solar installers extracting the most value possible from their solar and other home upgrades. Could you enunciate, generally speaking, the problem that you identified and are attempting to solve with, uh, with the business that you've created? Yeah, happy to. And I'll, I'll begin by referencing your starting point, which was the commercial building sector. I've worked before as a U.S. Green Building Council lead AP. And so understand that whether it's Energy Star or LEED or some of the other certification systems that are out there for new construction and specifically the commercial building sector, the ability to translate features into benefits, you know, features mm-hmm. meaning, you know, different types of, of high efficiency and, and maybe even somewhat complicated equipment and systems that are in buildings, translate that into a quality of life benefit in some way is really what helps people get excited about these sorts of properties and willing to pay more for them. And and it helps the the appraisers um, and, and the real estate agents or the property managers 
understand what's special and different about these properties mm-hmm. and therefore why they should be worth more. The problem that we have in the existing homes market today is that information about high-performing features may be in the mind of your builder, it may be in the mind of your home improvement contractor, but it's likely not something that your your listing agent or a future appraiser even a home inspector is aware of. People know how to ask if something is new, but they don't really understand how to rate or verify performance features in homes. And now solar, people may say, well, I mean, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? Like you've got panels sitting up on your roof. You get a a report from Mm -hmm. your, your software system that tells you how much energy you produced and therefore how much of your utility bill you've offset. But that doesn't mean that an appraiser knows how to take that information and translate it into contributory value. It, it doesn't mean that a real estate agent understands how to talk about that in a way that it becomes something exciting for the buyer and not something like, ooh, I don't know about that. How hard will the solar system mm-hmm. be to take care of? Will the contractor right. be around? Is there a warranty associated with like, everybody's mind goes to problems and without, you know, sort of a counter set of no, 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 this is the value you get from it. And and delivered Mm -hmm. in a way that those stakeholders can use and can understand you end up as a homeowner making, you know, tens of thousands or whatever it is of investment in these home improvements that you might not realize. And in fact, in most cases, people are not realizing when they go to refinance or to sell their home. I think that many of us underappreciate the follow on the knock-on effect after the homeowner has the euphoric experience of uh, in the old days, watching your meter run backwards, right? But today watching your electric bill go down, they've invested in not only the future high performance of that home and its ability to be interconnected with the grid and provide resiliency to the grid, but they've also invested in the potential and the hope that it will not only maintain, but increase equity in the home value. You used the term, that I, I love, and I had not heard it before you and I began engaging on this topic, and that is contributory value. So I'm going to reword um, or sort of give a paraphrase of what you just enunciated so eloquently, which is homeowners today are trapped in a system where the folks that are responsible for assigning contributory value to the various elements of the home in the resale process, they lack understanding and they are therefore undervaluing the assets if they're valuing them at all. Yes. Can you then introduce me to Pearl, the certification process, the company, and why this business is going to solve the problem that we've just enunciated? Happy to. So Pearl certification, while we do work with real estate agents and homeowners, our go-to-market has been primarily through the contractor segments. So specifically solar companies, uh, HVAC companies, home performance, insulation, and we're expanding into, into plumbing and a number of other trades. But, but we started there, particularly with solar and HVAC, because these are systems that cost a lot of money. And the real estate community, by and large, doesn't know how do I take that into account when I, when I go to value the home. If you've got a, a spare bedroom or a pool, you know, I think, you know, the, again, appraisal and real estate communities used to figuring out how do I price the home higher? How do I, how do I do my appraisal in such a way? Um, and my comps specifically so that I can give this home, um, the, the fair opinion of value that, that it deserves. The problem with the high performing features is that 
because most of them are newer and because real estate agents aren't used to putting them into the listing and they are, they're not sure what data they should be collecting to do it in a way that doesn't get them sued, we don't have comparables out in the real estate market. I can't tell you how many listings I've seen actually where there's solar on the roof, but there's no mention of solar in the multiple listing service, which um, may seem crazy to us in the industry, but actually takes place fairly frequently in the field. And I hear stories at least, you know, every few months where real estate agents have recommended to the homeowner that they actually remove the solar from the house before they put the house on the market because they see it as an impediment they to the traction. It. We have companies that that install solar that are on call for real estate agents to uninstall solar because the agent is concerned that it will be an impediment to the sale. It's, oh my God. There's that level of crazy that goes on out there. Now, I'm not saying that happens every day, and it may happen more in some areas than in others, but it, the fact that it happens at all is, is a, a really clear signal that something is hella broken and needs to get fixed. So I could cur I can cur hella broken. Hella broken. <laughs> like 120% broken. So in this particular instance, what Pearl does is first of all, we we qualify the contractors that are able to offer a third-party certification on their work. And we do that through a variety of ways, everything from how the company manages its customer service. And that that also looks at what are the um the ratings that that company has in in social media and other other venues, um, but it, it looks at the training that they have in place. Uh, in the case of Solar, do they have someone with a NAPSAT certification, for example, on staff, and and a number of other things? But once the company is qualified, then we set up a, a data interface with their usually their CRM, and mm -hmm. this is really powerful because when we want to talk about the accuracy of the data. The company CRM is what they use for invoicing and it's what they use for inventory. So it's really mm -hmm. important to the company that they are accurate and that gets us better data than asking the company to fat finger in a bunch of new numbers mm -hmm. and, and whatnot directly into our system. It's better just that we set up some kind of an API or a batch export. So the, the corollary benefit is that it removes a data burden from the installer company. So we get better data, they have less work to do. And, and with that information, we can then parse it and put it into a green and energy efficient appraisal addendum, which is a supplemental form for the URAR 1004 that every appraiser has to fill out as a part of their work. And we also then use that information to populate our certification report. And these two documents go hand in hand. The certification report is the backup for the information that's in the green and energy efficient appraisal addendum. And what these documents do in conjunction with our solar equity calculator is they essentially do the job of the appraiser for him or her. Now there's additional work they'll have to do on the back end, but we really make it easy for them by collecting the data and crunching the numbers. And then it's, it's up to them to kind of add their expertise from their, you know, specific market to the contributory value that they then calculate for that particular property. So to kind of recap here, we provide the certification typically through an installing contractor. And then that information is given to the, uh, appraiser vis-a-vis -vis the listing agent at time of sale. And um, 
we give them all the information that they need basically to do their job. And we remove a significant amount of, of legwork and education that they would otherwise have to have to assign that contributory value. What's required of the homeowner in order to ensure that the listing agent or appraiser is aware of Pearl and this, this sort of removal of obstacle or hurdle or friction in the process? So when we issue the certification, we send it directly to the homeowner. And, and actually what we do is we send them an email and we invite them to go into Green Door, which is our consumer-facing version of the certification app. And in Green Door, all of their documents live in a PDF form and they can, they can download that. Part of that document package is a letter to the lender, the appraiser, and the buyer. So separate letters for each that they can give to their real estate agent. And there is also a marketing package for the real estate agent. And depending upon how many features your house has, that marketing package can be quite robust, but it includes everything from placards that are hung in the home to social media posts, uh, an MLS listing report where we tell the agent exactly what data fields they can check off in the MLS so they don't have to figure that out. No, we, we, we here, this is your cheat sheet. Go forth and check the boxes <laughs> is essentially what we provide the agent. We, it's really a turnkey approach. And that, that's how we're solving the problem, Nico, is that we've created the right set of what we call investment grade documentation for the right stakeholder to use at the right time. And for the homeowner, it's, it's really a turnkey package. You can download and give all of this to your listing agent, and we have instructions for the listing agent on how to utilize this different types of documentation in the transaction. Fascinating. So I captured that Pearl is a certification process, and we referred you referred to your experience in green building and lead certification. We might go a little deeper into that as we unpack kind of how this whole idea came to be, but um, it's the homeowner equivalent of a lead certification, the way that buildings are certified in the commercial space to show that they've made material effort towards sustainable, high-performing upgrades. As you mentioned, um, there are many from fenestration, i.e. windows, to energy efficiency upgrades, to building envelope. And it just didn't exist for homeowners. Pearl uh, stands in the gap there. And there are a lot of smart ways that you have made not only the certification possible, but the marketing of the certification and the valuation of the the building there thereupon certified to actually add to the homeowner selling experience. What up till now, before Pearl existed, were solutions that were available for solar installers and homeowners? In particular, let's focus on the solar space, not really the, the building envelope or the high performing home, but specific to solar what what existed up to up to now? What other tools were are being used? So a couple of things. One is that there was a study done by um, Lawrence Berkeley National Labs that showed there was an increase in value, um, and I believe that study was published in 2015 when they looked at properties. Um, that had solar. And so when I see proposals from solar installers, frequently they quote that LBNL study, but it was it's a little dated. And I, I believe it really focused on California. And I don't think that that study alone is, is moving the needle for appraisers, say, in North Carolina. The other thing that, that companies can use is, again, LBNL and the Appraisal Institute work together on coming up with a methodology that would allow 
one to assign contributory value based on something called the income method. There are, are different ways that appraisers assign contributory value. Comparables is, is the industry standard. You have a house and you look for other homes that are very, very similar to it and that have sold in the last three to six months. And you look to see what price they, they sold at. And that helps you justify as an appraiser, whether or not the market values this property or these, this property's features. The income method is where you say, all right, we, we treat it almost like it's a, it's a rental property. And in the case of solar, you're generating an income stream by offsetting the energy that the homeowner would have used. And so you can assign a dollar value to that through mm-hmm. a, dis- a discounted cash flow number. And PV value is the name of an existing tool that some appraisers can use um, and and is another way to calculate that discounted cash flow. The approved, if you will, methodology behind PV value is the same methodology that we use for our solar equity calculator. The difference with the solar equity calculator is that we have made it more market-friendly. So, a solar installer can use the solar equity calculator to include what the discounted cash flow value would be for that purchaser as a part of their proposal. We've backfilled it with most of the types of equipment that are out there. So the process for inputting data is really just selecting something from a dropdown and then everything auto-populates. So it makes it available for the solar installer and it makes it easy for them to use. And, and similarly on, on, on the appraisal side, um, the appraiser can use it in a, in a similar way, but those are the, the, so you have the study from LBNL and then you have the PV value and, and that's, that's pretty much it. Because as I've said, the, the comparables out there are, are hard to, compare. Um, what's the kilowatt size of the system? What are the warranties associated with it? What's the inverter type? There are a number of different components to that installation that can make one installation be worth much more. What, you know, what's the degradation factor? You know, this, and, and you don't get that from just looking at a checkbox in the multiple listing service that says, yes, this home has solar. So th- this is the conundrum, right? Like there, there's a lot of other information that can make one solar system really a, a better and more valuable one than a similar solar system. And and part of what we help the appraiser understand are what are those other features? And oh, by the way, here's a number that you can use. I'm curious about the the timeline for introduction of a product like Pearl. Is there anything that really needed to be true in order for this business to work kind of timing is everything with businesses. uh, You know, if you'd started five, 10, 15 years ago, why would this business have failed to succeed? And what has come about that has enabled you to be able to take this approach to certifying homes? I think a couple of things. Um, One is certainly that climate change is more real and the urgency to do something about it is more real. It's, it's not a hypothetical anymore. We're, we're living through it and seeing the data on it. People's attitudes have changed in terms of whether or not they value sustainability. So when I worked as a green builder back in the first part of um, the early 2000s, we were always justifying to our customers why they should spend more in order to have a, a greener home. And it, it wasn't a lot more. It wasn't like the 20% more that other builders tried to tell them it would cost, but it, it could be more. Um, and 
now we find ourselves in the situation where buyers value green and sustainability, that they're willing to pay more for it. It's not like you have to convince them to do it. The problem is that it's, it's really hard to find in the existing home because that, as I, we've been saying, that information is largely invisible to the naked eye, the, the performance characteristics. But I, I think you look at the millennial uh, demographic, these are, are people, they, they own more houses, they make up the largest percentage of our labor force, and uh, they are the ones that had been, had the most purchasing power um, for, for homes and for home improvement. And that particular demographic cares a lot about climate change. And, and so I think, you know, the real estate industry wants to try and be fair in terms of what the market values. And they want to see data that the market actually values these features. And we've been in this bit of a catch-22 situation where if we don't make the features visible, how do we know that they, that they exist and how do we know to value them? So Pearl is like definitely helping us out of that, that conundrum. But I, I do believe that macro forces have also shifted. People value sustainability more. There's an urgency for us to do something about the the issues with our existing housing stock. And now we have the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a multi-billion dollar piece of federal policy that is meant to really spur the acceleration of these types of home improvements. Um, and, and I don't I think that we're all, you know, as an industry, very excited about that and expect to see it make a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you and I were first working in, uh, in green building, uh, in the aughts and early teens, the, the boon to that industry, as it were, from a policy perspective was the American Reinvestment Recovery Act that by and large helped folks, uh, tackle the, the broader, easier, lower hanging fruit, the upgrade in windows tightening the envelope of the home, insulation and things and things of that sort. Made it easy, like under two-year payback kind of things. It's encouraging that the IRA does in fact build on that by focusing on the electrification of the home, the improvement of how the home integrates with a smart electric grid. And I think it's really critical that, um, that not only homeowners, but installers are aware of the tools that are available to help sell those upgrades to homeowners in a way that give homeowners assurance that they're going to, in fact, be able to harvest the value sometime down the road, not just on their utility bill, but in the investment that they make to the asset itself. I guess a question that comes up, I'm sure for a lot of folks is, who is it that actually buys or pays for this certification? We can get into a conversation later about how you um, sort of set up your payment structure and the sort of the, the, the business model per se, but is this a product that the homeowner buys or who do you sell through? We sell through the contractor and the contractor typically bakes into their pricing, the cost of the certification. So the answer to your question is I think ultimately the homeowner pays for it, but they don't, they pay for it like a cost of goods sold, like, like marketing or some other, um, some other right. expense that might be built into like your their CAC. monitoring system and all of the other expenses. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's yep. it's really an incremental cost. 
uh, that we charge. We're a, we're a SaaS business. So contractors, you know, sign a 12 month contract with us. They pay a set monthly fee based upon volume. And the more volume you do, the less the per certification cost is. But, you know, not to beat around the bush here, we're talking about anything from, you know, 30 to $40 to on the high end, 60 or $70 per install. So it's, it's, kind of a rounding error when you think about the cost of the installation and it's not hard for contractors to bake that into their pricing. We were talking briefly about the IRA though and I, I there's two things in that that I'd really like to double click on. One of them is that there's a, a rebate program that may be very relevant to solar companies that are thinking about electrification and how they can have multiple bites at the apple, whether that's lead gen to an HVAC contractor or actually starting to bring some of these other services into house. The homes rebate program requires a third party certification in order to access the rebate. And, and you have to c- capture information about what was installed, the projected energy savings, and you need to issue that certification to the homeowner on behalf of the contractor in a way that helps them capture the value for resale. So it, is, it describes exactly what it is that we're providing to the market. And yesterday, the DOE's IRA guidelines came out. And in that is a new requirement that was not initially a part of the legislation, but it, it, it says that the states have to submit within a year to the DOE their market transformation plan. This market transformation plan has to include a description of how they will help to foster the transmission of information about high performing features in homes into the resale transaction. So the state energy offices are actually being tasked to think about how do we create this flywheel effect where we're making the high performance features value visible in the resale transaction so that we we move these high performing homes from the fringe into the mainstream and we have a market-based mechanism that persists beyond the rebate timeline to really accelerate our energy transition it's 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 very exciting to see that language in the guidelines yeah that's fascinating and what great timing because uh, we've had a couple of times uh, where we needed to delay the recording of this. So it's great to have uh, that information now available. I'd love it if after the recording, if you would send me a link that we could guide, give guide, give folks best guidance to how to read up on those guidelines uh, that you're mentioning. Sure. Um, if you could share with me an easy, an easy link, that would be wonderful. We'll include it in the show notes. You know, one of the things that in our prep for the conversation, when I asked like, how, how does this get sold? How do people sort of bake it in or do they bake it in? They pass it on to the contractor or to the homeowner. You said something that really stands out to me and I want to highlight it. It is de minimis. It really is something that (laughs) um, is a negligible cost. It's it's less than the cost of the average like snack that the crew installing the system is, is paying for on their break while installing your system. Like this, and it has a, a, a hundred or a thousand fold impact uh, comparatively on, uh, on the value of the system. So I think that is something that it really does bear mentioning that this is a product that adds measurable value to the value of the asset you're selling. It's equivalent in some ways to an insurance plan, right? Like yeah. if you think about paying for the, the, the tech insurance at Best Buy, and everybody's used to saying, oh, $4, great. I'll just 
tag that on because who knows, I might drop this thing in the, uh, in the sink uh, some, someday. So I would encourage folks to really just think about it like that. When, even when you have to explain it to a homeowner, it is um, in many cases a, they, they should not see it as something that is a cost rather saying we're including for you this service. And they don't even need to know the, the cost of that service because it is in fact de minimis. It's something that it has a, a negligible impact on the overall return on the system cost. So you started Pearl in what year? And since then, what milestones would you point to as sort of success markers that you're making progress and traction towards being able to provide this service as a value add to the, to the contractor community and the homeowner? So my co-founder partner and I started Pearl uh, before May of 2015, actually, because there was a lot of nights and weekends while we were working the jobs that we had, but we raised 250000 in angel investment and started full-time and then some on Pearl in May of 2015. And, you know, initially we had a lot of work to do developing the certification system and we worked closely with DOE and the national labs to ensure that the building science that the system was based on was something that the industry would accept. We, if you're, if you're setting out to create a, a national standard for high-performing homes, particularly as applied to the existing home, you want to know that the gatekeepers are going to approve of what you're doing. And for us, coming from the energy efficiency community in particular, we really wanted um, the energy efficiency community and the U.S. Department of Energy and others associated with it to be supportive of, of what we were doing ultimately. It, not explicitly so, but but definitely not, you know, behind the scenes saying negative things to to folks about about our approach. After we had evolved that system, we then wanted to engage the appraisal and the real estate community because these are the other two gatekeepers that were really important for our particular type of certification. So um, in 2017, we applied to and were accepted in the National Association of Realtors Reach Technology Accelerator. They made an investment in Pearl at that time through their VC firm called Second Century Ventures and have since followed on in subsequent investments. But the relationship that we have with the National Association of Realtors, I think, is unique in in terms of the type of startup that we are and where we're going with our work. And, you know, from NAR's perspective, they're not a mandate friendly organization. They they believe in free enterprise. They they um, service over a million realtors and they want them to have as much flexibility and, and professionalism in how they do their work. And they saw Pearl certification, I believe, as an alternative to a state mandate that says, you know, you have to have energy disclosure at time of sale or some kind of mandatory home energy labeling. Pearl highlights high-performing features, help those houses sell for more. We support the realtor and the transaction. All of those are really positive things and, and everybody kind of wins from it. So that was a big milestone for us. We do have a licensing that agreement. That is a big milestone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a licensing agreement with the Appraisal Institute to complete their green and energy efficiency addendum as an independent third party. So um, that was that was important, um, having a good, a good relationship with, with AI. But beyond that, you know, we now have Ferguson Ventures as an investor on our cap table and having, you know, the largest distributor of home services nationwide to work alongside us and help us scale has been a very big deal. In addition to that, last year we participated in Exelon's 2C2I Climate Accelerator, and that gives us um, 
a unique line into the utility landscape and their rebate programs that they have out there right now. How can we augment those rebate programs? How can we provide a, an additional service to their customers? We have some really great uh, industry partners now that we're starting to sign up. Uh, we announced a week ago a partnership with Mosaic where we will be providing uh, special network benefits to their their contractors that that use their financing. And we have a very interesting pilot right now we're doing with Goodleap that I'm not going to go into details about because I, I hope to have a paper we can publish in six to 12 months as a result. But um, yeah, just some fantastic new industry partnerships that are, are getting started and, and rolling out as well. So I think about milestones, I think, you know, getting over these initial hurdles with the gatekeepers. Um, certainly IRA's passage is a big deal because of the requirement for certification, but this alignment between public and private is something that we we really help to foster and we're seeing it kind of align for us as a business right now too. And that's fantastic. Yeah. And I love that you are going through the uh, the catalyst organizations in the industry, um, namely Goodleap, Mosaic. There are others, obviously Sunlight, Dividend, Get On the Train, that, um, <laughs> that can that can offer this in a more broad way to installers, right? They are vectors to installers. I wonder if, you know, some of these programs also in others, uh, other sectors tend to work like HVAC through the manufacturers like train. And uh, I'm curious how, if at all, you're having conversations with manufacturers. Like I'd note, you know, some of the inverter manufacturers that are closest to the homeowner and also the installer, they have nation, you know, nationwide uh, dealer networks, distributors, that kind of thing. Is that, how are those vectors working for you right now? Um, they're working pretty well. Uh, we we have a couple of very well-known brands on the HVAC side that we're speaking with. We also have within the solar space a panel manufacturer and in, an inverter manufacturer that were, have proposals out from us right now, um, if, hoping to have them signed by the end of August and making an announcement there. So... Uh, we're very much, I, th I think it's really interesting, the the manufacturers sometimes, and, and this is, maybe this is more in the HVAC space than in the solar side, but there can be a kind of pent up frustration on that they have because they, these high performing types of equipment, they've, they've been manufacturing them for a while. And there can be a reticence on the part of the this, the installer, the salesperson in the household to recommend to the homeowner the more expensive stuff because they don't want to lose that customer to the Dan in the van or the two chucks in a truck that are going to come in and underbid them. And and you you don't want the homeowner to feel like you're taking advantage of them. <laughs> so many different stories that I have from people in the utility industry and in our, our space that are basically ones where they're arguing with their contractor. No, no, no. I really do want the higher efficiency thing. I really do want to spend more. I think if we can, working with the manufacturers, give those salespeople some additional messaging and confidence in that conversation with the homeowner to actually upsell, uh, they would be, the manufacturers would be very happy about that, uh, that it's a higher profit margin for them on the higher efficiency types of equipment it's better for the contractor and you know ultimately it's better for the homeowner as well the problem is that we just need to be able to frame this that this really is in your best interest mr and mrs homeowner 
and you can trust the contractor when he or she tells you so and presents this information for you. And Pearl is going to help ensure you get an ROI, an ROI from this investment. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on Suncast. Yeah, you. Thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know. I can hardly believe it myself. <laughs> but that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast, I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. I'm really intrigued, as I've shared with you a number of times, by the phenomenal traction, but the traction is emblematic of the thoughtfulness that has gone into the business, the programmatic way that you thought about who the stakeholders are. And I don't know that I've done an interview in a long while where we were able to, in the first you know, 30-ish minutes, really unpack the business before I talk about <laughs> you, the, the founder. So let's, so let's, take a let's take some time to do that. I'm sure folks are wondering a little bit more about your background, um, and, as am I. Cynthia, where did you grow up in the world? So I was born in Washington, D.C., and I grew up in Prince William mm, County. Yep, yep, in Virginia. I had an interesting childhood in that when we moved from, so initially we lived in Alexandria and then we moved to a new development at the time called Lake Ridge in Prince William County. And now it's this sprawling subdivision of subdivisions, subdivisions within subdivisions um, type of, of community. But when we moved out there, uh, my backyard basically abutted to acres and acres and acres of woods. Over the course of my growing up there from basically first grade to graduating from high school, all of that mm -hmm. acres and acres and acres of woods since became somebody else's backyard or, or some strip mall. Yeah. And it was kind of heartbreaking. Uh, you know, I come back from college and get lost. Literally, I would get lost. <laughs> what the hell street am I on anymore? Because wow. everything was was changing. And I think while I had a strong grounding in nature, um, literally, I, I yeah. watched it, I watched it disappear and mm. that very much informed, you know, my sort of conservation, environmental, sustainable perspectives, um, throughout my adulthood, my, my, both my appreciation for the natural environment and my understanding of how, uh, how quickly it's evaporating and how fragile it is. That's really beautiful. And I love the, how you connected the 
perspective that led to the adoption as an adult of a very acute awareness of and desire for protecting the the woods, the environment, the the nature, the culture around you that that gave you a sense of appreciation for um, for what the the earth and its natural benefits uh, provide for us and and for humanity broadly. Is there a, an element of the way that your family operated that also contributed in some way uh, from a childhood to either your sense of entrepreneurship or uh, and or environmentalism? I don't know about the environmentalism. I think I think just living where we did uh, kind of like gave me that opportunity to connect with nature as a, as as a child, as opposed to. We were living in an apartment complex in Alexandria before, so I imagine if I had grown up there, I'd have yeah. very different perspective than with the right. acres and acres and acres of woods in my backyard. But you know, my my father was a quadriplegic. Uh, he broke his oh, wow. neck as a sophomore in college, uh, doing a racing dive into a river in Colorado. Uh, he was at school as in college in Colorado, and um, he later overcame through an, an immense amount of physical therapy, a lot of uh, hardship and was able to go mm-hmm. back to school, get his doctorate in economics um, and took a job for the the government working in the Department of Interior and was actually instrumental in getting legislation passed to create ramps on sidewalks so that no people stuck in wheelchairs, you know, like him could actually get like on and off a sidewalk ADA, and yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So my dad instilled in me, I think this like attitude of you, you can do it. Um, mm. you, you, you're, you're smart enough, you're passionate enough, whatever you set your sights on doing my daughter, you can do. And wow. it's not like, I don't mean to diminish my mom's support by any means, but my dad and I had a lot of conversations around this and, I, I definitely want to give him um, credit for instilling yeah. that kind of confidence to to go forth and be entrepreneurial. Yeah, and um, you know what an example as well to see someone who was literally broken in body but not broken in spirit, who was able to overcome and uh, and in many ways triumph, uh, not just intellectually but professionally. Um, that's amazing. Besides your father, are there any other early life personal heroes that you looked up to that gave you sort of a sense of direction in life? <laughs> uh, so I, I got a master's I in English. I know it's a deep question, sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see how deep we go with this one, but I, I have a master's okay. in English. And um, one of the things that happened to me when I was in college, particularly in my my graduate school days, was uh, a deep immersion into post-structural critical theory. And um, this is basically a way of breaking down and taking apart any ideology that you've been exposed to because you understand the role that language plays in shaping perspective and that, that culture plays in shaping law and morality and other types of things. And I, I had a teacher a couple of teachers that I would go in and talk to because basically I felt like at that time, all bets were off in terms of society. Mm-hmm. There was no right viewpoint. There was no right religion. There was no uh, 
cast in stone anything. And rather than drift off into some Nietzschean nihilism, how did I put meaning back together in my life? And there were a couple of uh, women, actually, who gave me some really practical advice on on balancing one's, you know, sort of a, a awareness and larger perspective with the sort of tactical day-to-day that is our lives. And I think as an entrepreneur, while that may sound really heady, you do things like that pretty much on a day-to-day basis. That ability to move between the vision and the practical, yeah, you're, you're nodding. You get it. Exactly. Absolutely. You have to, you continually have to learn to be present in the activity today, but still hold a vision for the future that not only are you yourself motivated by, but your team can Mm -hmm. build confidence from, right? Like we have to simultaneously be the bridge between today and the desired future state of the business and, and not lose, not lose track of the like actual activity that's going to get us there and, and help prioritize that. That's really cool. I like, I like the, the interpolation there of how your professors helped really, as I heard it, put meaning back into your life when you were trying to balance the awareness between the larger perspective and the tactical day-to-day of life. Hmm. As such, you got a master's in English. Was there a desired or um, as at one point preferred career path that you ultimately thought you would take, but did not? Yeah, there was. Uh, I thought that I would become an environmental lawyer. Mm. I was getting a master's degree in English in in part, um, well, for a whole host of personal reasons, but it was it was meant meant to inform my application to law school. And ah. uh, what what happened was I kind of fell in love at the time with teaching, and then I thought I would go back and get a PhD and actually work, you know, in the university system. And um, you know, life had a habit of throwing a bunch of other curveballs by way of, mm-hmm. of children and marriage, and yeah. um, we we. I drifted in a into an entirely different career, but I will say that having that language English background in terms of the the writing in particular has served me very well in every career path that that I've yeah. had. The ability to communicate is so important. It really is. It really is. I remember. <laughs> so I um, I don't think I ever talk about this, but uh, I had very modest or mediocre SAT scores, mainly because my math skills weren't particularly strong. I scored an 800 on verbal, which is a perfect nice. score. Yeah. And, and decided not to go into some sort of like a, like go down the path of writing or, or English studies or whatever. Um, and instead went down the hard route. Like I scored a, I think 400 on uh, math and decided to go into engineering. <laughs> right? Um, the, the, right, exactly. That's the right response. <laughs> Laughing is the right response. And I, um, and I ultimately uh, went to business school because if you are, um, you know, if you are capable with the, I learned pretty quickly in, in college, like if you're capable of holding um, confident and um, cogent conversations and you understand how communication works um, and you understand also the, Fund, found the sort of foundational principles of math, then where you really should be is in, in the business of employing people who are much stronger than you on those skills, <laughs> right? So business really sort yeah. of fit for yeah. me. And uh, I see in, I see in you and the work that you're doing with Pearl, especially the, the reality that you have to parse language very specifically is that your job has built upon years and layers of uh, the ability to navigate 
very difficult to negotiate and complex policy landscape where we're talking mm -hmm. thousands of page documents, the ability to get through them quickly, right? Which would have made you a good, not, not only um, uh, lawyer, but, but probably litigator. Um, but with that strong verbal skill, it, it gives you the ability to, um, to convey meaning in a useful way. I've heard you do that in this conversation better than lots of folks that I've had the privilege Aww, thank of you. interviewing in it. And it, it, yeah, I think it points to your commanding sort of understanding of the language. Like you introduced me to the term de minimis, which I was, <laughs> you know, I remember on the call, I was really frustrated that I didn't know that word, but now I've, uh, in, I've internalized it. And, uh, and I, I, I just, I wanted to acknowledge that I think that a command of language and communication is a critical skill for, for CEOs. Mm -hmm. It's one that all too often CEOs have to learn when they get to uh, the uh, executive chair, right? Vice president and um, sort of the VP and C-suite levels. So I think that that is certainly a, um, a credit to you. I wanted to get into the work that you did. As I recall, you you just alluded to sort of marriage and children and a new career. At some point you found yourself building premium homes in Idaho. Can you talk to me mm -hmm. about kind of walk me down the path from uh, building premium homes in Idaho to the, uh, to the, the, the kernel of an idea for Pearl and how you like walk me down that career track. Sure. Sure. So I, I will say that getting into home building was a result of um, my husband's career path. Uh, he had a degree in environmental science from UVA and had been playing the Beltway Bandit super fun route with a, a large consulting firm that he worked with and was both burnt out and and also seeking to do something more meaningful with his his career. And after a stint with Habitat for Humanity, we decided um, he had amassed enough skills that we would buy a, an old house and fix it up. And then after we had gone through that and sold it, we bought land and we built a house from the ground up he apprenticed with an architect and we thought, all right, we want to do our own construction company. We would like to focus on building homes that people want to have last for hundreds of years, like the house that we had renovated and not build these giant McMansions, which were popping up all over the place, you know, in the late nineties. Um, and, and so we, we ended up moving to Idaho to a resort town called McCall, a couple hours North of Boise. And there was a brand new ski resort going in. And so there was this huge construction boon uh, where people were trying to get in at the ground floor because prices and land values had increased literally fivefold. So that that gave us a unique opportunity as a, a, as a GC firm just starting out to kind of get in at the ground level there and hook up with some architects. And Stone Metal Wood was the name of the, the green building company that we had. Out of that, I, I spun off... Um, a design build showroom called Blue Hair and Tile and Interiors, and then later um, merged with another company that had a, also a strong environmental focus. And that's when I got my U.S. Green Building Council lead AP and started doing consulting work there. So cut to the market tanking in 2008, like the bottom dropped out and it dropped out first in the resort communities, people's second and third homes, which McCall was. And we had to sell off our businesses um, in a fire sale. There were builders that I knew that were going to Canada, so they didn't end up in jail because they had been robbing yeah, Peter wow. to pay Paul when, when the market tanked. 
I did a sideways career maneuver. I ended up moving back to Virginia for family-related reasons and took yeah. a job as the Climate Protection Program Coordinator with the city of Charlottesville. And in my lap landed a grant from the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance. Well, we applied for it and we, we won it. The city, the county, the university kind of worked together with our state energy office on that application. And then they had to hire an executive director for a nonprofit to administer this grant. So I applied for that position I won it and then, you know, built up the Local Energy Alliance program or LEAP um, as, as a next career move. Um, also starting the Virginia Energy Efficiency Council, co-founding that along the way. So, so moving from green building into this, this particular idea with Pearl has, has felt a, a bit like a, a common sense and, you know, evolution. As a builder, you, you have to manage multiple subs. You have to understand how the different systems in the home work together. And we were keenly interested in efficiency and renewables and the work that we did. And so in running LEAP, the goal there was to work in public-private partnership to administer energy efficiency and renewable energy programs on behalf of the city or the county or the state. And it was there that I met my co-founder partner, Robin, he was running the, um, he was managing director for the National Home Performance Council, and they were kind of a think tank, and you could consider LEAP a do tank. And together we, you know, ended up working on a lot of different projects, including how to get energy efficiency information into the real estate transaction, um, HPXML, which is a data transfer standard for energy efficiency data, and, and a number of other things. And we spend a lot of nights um, at conferences, sitting next to each other at, at, at dinners, complaining about all the things that were broken in our industry. Mm. <laughs> and out of mm -hmm. those conversations, you know, was born, you know, PEARL. And by the way, PEARL is an acronym, Property Energy Asset Registry and Licensing, which we, we don't say very often because it's a mouthful, but it's, it's Pearl, while being unique, like everyone's home is unique, also has a an acronym um, basis for it. And of course, because it was birthed out of the government, so yeah, <laughs> in some exactly. way. So wait, I want to hear Pearl was what I missed that is property, property, energy, asset registry, and licensing. So oh, that's cool. We have an energy asset registry on our website where all of the certifications are um, stored, and we license the ability to do the third-party certifications, you know, to qualified companies. That's, that's brilliant. I love that. Thank you. What assumptions did you and Robin have to challenge in the first year or two of starting the business? So many, um, a couple of, so the whole dot-com thing, you know, uh, where a whole mm. bunch of investors got burned when companies related to the internet kind of lit fire and, mm -hmm. and, and crashed. There was a similar thing that happened in the, um, yeah, exactly. So we were trying to raise money in clean tech at a time at which a lot of companies had just gotten majorly burned. And yeah. they looked at what we were doing and they said, you know, your contractors are a hugely disaggregated market. Real estate is a hugely disaggregated market. You know, I think your idea is really great. I don't know how the hell you pull it off. And, and so it was, it was a lot of headwind. I mean, honestly, particularly from the investment community getting going. Yeah. And how did we overcome it? You know, we, we had some investors that really bought into the vision and were, you know, really supportive and they laid out milestones for us 
and we were able to meet them. And while it did feel like we kind of swung from investor, or I should say investment round to investment round, like a trapeze rung, like one to the next. And at any point there was free fall underneath. We, we did make those, those transitions and we have investors that are on our board today that were, you know, our, our earliest angels. Um, so they've, they've really been supportive and great mentors. How many rounds of, how many, oh yeah, I want to talk about that in a minute too, but how, how many rounds of investment have you gone through? Aside from the angel rounds, we had two seed rounds and then we've done an A1 and an A2. Mm, Okay. Are you comfortable sharing roughly how much it's taken to get Pearl to the place where I would say you're, uh, you found product market fit and you're like looking to scale the business? Yeah, I, I, we're, we've raised about $29 million all in. So on the surface, folks might look at this business and think, how in the heck have you raised $29 million? Both, how does it take so much? And why does this idea merit $29 million? But on, on the back of um, this business is a software business, it's a software as a service layer to accelerate the sale of and the electrification of asset of of apparatus that improve the home experience for homeowners um which if you've been involved in if you've been listening to climate avengers our, our other show about climate investing at all uh, you if you've been involved in climate investing the ability to do exactly what cynthia and her team have done right which is to create a product that can reach a disaggregated market in this case both contractors and realtors or real estate. Everyone since I started my first solar company in 2006 has said like, if we could just figure out a way to get the realty community to like, to, to help with sales, right? That doesn't include, by the way, like lunch and learns by every installer to every local realtor group, yeah, God, God um, bless. which doesn't scale, which doesn't scale. Um, that is why like $30 million needs to go into building a program that helps empower installers uh, and home performance, uh, um, home performance contractors, we'll call them, of which solar installers fit into that category. That's remarkable. Uh, I mean, kudos to you. It's um, to have gained the momentum you've gained um, and the capital that you've been able to raise in, um, in less than a decade is remarkable given the amount of bureaucracy you have to deal with in your business. It's really tremendous. Yeah. Um, I mean, talk to me, go ahead. I'm sure you want to respond to that. Well, I just, I guess what I would say is that like Pearl is an ecosystem play. You know, we're, we're really, we're a platform and our, our customer segments include home improvement contractors, builders, real estate agents, the, the, the public um, by the public. I mean, like, state energy programs, local programs, potentially utilities, et cetera. And with each of those customer segments, while they all care about the same thing, hey, we want to put more solar and more efficiency in homes, their particular needs are slightly different and how you go about engaging them is slightly different. But if you if you want, we, we are a company that is is enabling, catalyzing market transformation. And one of the big headaches for us is, as a platform play, getting those customers sufficiently engaged and seeing the network effect that that awaits them, uh, it's 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 a lot. Um, I think it's our moat 
because it's so goddamn hard to do. Uh, but I, it, but it, it, the, it puts us at the intersection of very, very large markets, um, like 44 billion, you know, sized markets, because you have construction, home improvement, lending, insurance, and real estate kind of all circling what we do. Um, so I, while it may sound like, oh, you've raised a lot of money and I, I'm, I'm proud of the money that we've been able to raise and I'm excited about the investors that we have on our cap table, we have a big vision that really, truly can be transformative for the folks listening to this call. I concur. How, uh, how did you get the early, I mean, it's, I, it almost feels like I can assume or guess the answers, but how did you get to product market fit? Can you talk about the early attempts at finding the right buyer or the right product that would allow you to really lean in and start building? How did you build those early pieces that you could monetize to start to show tracks in for those, for that investment? So Pearl is a B2B to C business and the side of that customer wheel that I spoke of a moment ago that my co-founder and I knew best was the contractor side. And so for us, it seemed obvious to start with that, the B2B, like I say, HVAC and solar. Now, we had to bring along the real estate with it because the first question out of any installer's mouth, any contractor's mouth is, if I go and I sell this to my customers, they're a real estate agent in my community that's going to know how to sell a Pearl certified house or has heard of a Pearl certified house. So I want to know that what I'm telling my customers is something real. So we had we had to like both sell the contractor and then we had to also kind of sell the real estate agent. The product market fit part for us really came into play into two ways. One is contractors don't want to do double entry on the data and they, they don't want to be caught up in a long, complicated sales explanation for your particular product. The longer they're stuck in the house, the fewer customers they'll see on any given day. So we really needed to streamline for them the, the data capture and then we needed to streamline for them how they message Pearl to the homeowner. And that that took a, a fair amount of, of work for us to kind of figure out the ins and outs of both the messaging, the marketing, and then the, the data part. But we did. I think the other component, though, here is that Pearl is meant to be a trusted brand. We are a third-party certification. And the contractors and the real estate agents had some concern that if the consumer had never heard of us before, would they care? And what we found was that homeowners haven't heard of any certification unless they've gone out to buy a product recently that has Except it. It's not energy like they're, star. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Energy star, but it, it, but it's not like on a day-to-day basis, they're Googling third-party certifications for my home. Like nobody does right. that. So mm-hmm. when you introduce a certification to them, their next question is, all right, well, I like certifications. They give me peace of mind and confidence in, in the purchasing I'm about to do. And I've, I've certainly looked for them in other aspects of my life. Tell me about this one. And that's where, you know, being able to point to Pearl as an energy star partner and, you know, an affiliation with the National Association of Realtors and the Appraisal Institute, kind of back to that gatekeeper thing. Those logos are really important for creating confidence in the mind of the consumer that yes, Pearl is a legitimate third-party certification. We're not a marketing scheme that the contractor created one day. And those those were the kind of twin things that we 
you know, we struggled with around product market fit initially, the mm-hmm. logistics of getting the data and helping the contractor message Pearl to their customers. And then secondarily, the the credibility and the fact that no, nobody has heard about Pearl. We're new in every market that we go to, but I promise you, you will be able to close more deals and help your customers see the benefit in purchasing the higher right. efficiency thing, leveraging us in your sales discussion. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm sure you got into some conversations where you were saying, look, most homeowners don't realize that there's an IGCC for certifying the insulation value of their windows, and they don't know what the hell R value means for their insulation in the walls. So how is this any different? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um Okay. Well, I would love to hear what were some of the objections beyond will the homeowner recognize it? What were some of the objections by solar installers as you specifically try to drill into that market to, to get your first clients? Uh, you know, solar installers are, are super price sensitive. Um, I mean, between the, the chaos of the supply chain and um what's happening on the federal level and how that impacts their business policy, I think has impacted solar installers businesses far more to date than it has HVAC, although with IRA that's about to change. But, um, you know, I think part of it was getting them over the, yeah, you're going to have to add some cost if you want to bake this into your pricing and not take it out of your profit and not take it out of your marketing, which we know you don't want to do. The, the other thing I think with the solar companies has been, there's a lot of different models out there for solar contracting. Um, some are strictly, you know, online sales lead gen, uh, you know, others do everything soup to nuts. And we needed to have a slightly different value prop and an onboarding process and, and all of that with, with a lot of different types of solar sales models. And I think that we had to kind of, that was a learning curve for us as well, because the the same, you know, sort of, hey, here's the value prop to you didn't fly depending upon the business model that the solar installer was using. Did you find like a chicken and egg where you had to get a couple of installers to agree before you'd find financiers who also wanted to participate? Or did you always kind of have those running in similar, similar parallel tracks? Well, the, the fact that we came out of that space meant that we already had companies that we had worked with in our past lives that, that knew us as people uh, that respected what we were doing. So that, that initial network was pulling from relationships that we already had. And then, you know, moving to the next level to selling strangers is, is its own thing. And then moving to the next level to selling really large businesses that technically don't need you to be successful. They're already successful is its own thing. And then from there, we just laddered up to the OEMs because once the OEMs realized that we were helping their dealers sell a lot more of their stuff, they they wanted to figure out how they could, you know, I love it. double down that on that. That makes a lot of sense. I'm, I appreciate that you gave the walkthrough there. I think that's going to be helpful for folks that are thinking about how to wrap their head around the business model and the platform, building a platform generally. Like I, what I hear um, as an entrepreneur is not, how to build Pearl, but how to think about a two-sided marketplace and how to build a platform where you'd, right? Like the lessons under not underlying the business of Pearl are applicable to many different types of businesses. So uh, you mentioned, and I think it's often one of the most invaluable things, like folks will uh, often hem and haw about whether or not to raise capital 
especially if they've got something that they can monetize early. Uh, and the advice often given is if you don't already have a very w uh, entrenched deep network of people who will advise and refer you for free in some way, then getting investors who have a stake in the industry is one of the best ways to gain market traction and momentum. Talk a bit about the uh, the influence or impact of the various investors you mentioned who have become mentors and who have had direct impact in how the business has grown. So it's interesting what you just said there, because my mind is still kind of like swirling on, on, on uh, how do I grow as a, as a business, as an entrepreneur. And I, I think that there, there has been this idea out there that everybody has to have venture funding in order to be a successful business. And you know, maybe every entrepreneur out there dreams of, you know, a gazillion dollar acquisition and exit. Maybe they don't. I mean, maybe you would be happy with a lifestyle business where you continue to have ownership and control over everything that that is there for you. And you, you kind of, you, it's okay to bootstrap. It's okay to get debt financing after you're at a place where you've got, you know, a customer base that you can, you can leverage. Um, I don't. I don't know that everybody has to go out and and seek you know third party capital because it's not just a lot of work. It's it's also um, it's an emotional roller coaster, and sometimes the investors are there and are not there for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with your business. They can have everything to do with the success of them being able to raise their own capital or what's going on in the broader markets right now. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, it was a growth market. It was much easier to raise capital at much better valuations than it is today. And that doesn't have anything to do with how successful your business is. It has to do with the backdrop, you know, in which you are raising capital and, and seeking to grow your business. So I just, I wanted to put that out there that, you know, you can have a very successful business and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean the only way to get there is is through outside investors. But if you are going to use outside investors, then I would say pick them very carefully. In an ideal world, you're not just getting a check. You're you're getting you're getting mentorship. You're getting support. You're getting a network. You're getting um, a whole bunch of things that you don't know you need. Honestly, like I, I think one of the interesting things that we've we've learned from our investors is what what does it mean to prepare for scale? What positions do you have to have in place in your company so that the wheels aren't coming off the bus at exactly the point you hit the accelerator? And that's really different from the deep market expertise that my co-founder partner and I have. We've run businesses before, but running a construction company or a design build showroom is not the same thing as preparing a company for scale, you know, from hiring to how you manage your finances to, to all of those things. So I think that that's been, that's been a really great relationship that we've had with our investors is we don't know what we don't know. And they're here to tell you <laughs> and, and help mm -hmm. you figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to turn some of those questions back on you, but I want to know how many people does it take to run a company like Pearl? We have about uh, 50 people working for the company right now. And mm -hmm. um, I, I think different division heads will tell you that they still feel that they could have some more positions here or some more positions there, particularly given the 
the momentum and the the yeah. upswing that we're seeing with our industry partners in IRA. Could you break down for me, like who, like the types of roles that make up that 50 employees? Like where's the bulk of the talent? Yeah. So we have different customer segments and we've organized the company along P&L. So mm-hmm. we wanted to provide that say our VP of contractor, the ability to manage everything from marketing to sales to, you know, success, customer service, onboarding, yeah. et cetera. So his division has, you know, multiple salespeople, multiple success people, uh, industry partnerships person, a, a marketing director, um, as well as someone who helps with Salesforce. And uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of its own business unit, frankly. Mm-hmm. And we have one for homeowner new construction, industry partnerships, and what we call P3, which stands for public-private partnerships. Now, Mm -hmm. not every division is as built out. We have some divisions of one because they're -hmm. they're still developing their product market fit and and sales such that it makes sense for us to hire. But each one of those divisions has an important role to play in the ecosystem that that Pearl has is animating and and enabling. And we, of course, you know, we have software folks, we've got HR, we've got, you know, the, the other sort of ops types of positions that mm-hmm. uh, one would have to have for a, a company that is, you know, preparing to scale. Yeah. Thanks. That's super helpful. So I know we're getting close to the end of our uh, sort of allotted time here, but I have a few questions that I want to drill down on. Um, perhaps... It is fodder for a follow-on conversation, but um, because we're talking about talent, I think I'll leave uh, as an open line item for us to talk about later. What does it mean to prepare for scale? Because I think that alone is an episode. Um, (laughs) But what positions do you need in your company in order to scale and not have the wheels fall off? What did you learn uh, that you didn't know? My co-founder partner and I, um, I, I'm CEO, he's president. We have a CTO, uh, ACK Part, who's been with us um, not since the very beginning, but he was like the next, you know, important employee hired. And he's been in companies that have been larger as well. But the between the three of us, we do not have that defined experience of riding mm. the rocket ship, you know, of, right. of going from, you know, five to 50 to 500 and, and, and a successful exit. So one of the things that we are hiring for now is a chief operations, um, a COO. Mm-hmm. And, and we are also hiring for a CFO. Uh, we have been working with an outside firm and a fractional CFO up until now. But as we think forward, raising a series B next year, and, and again, thinking about scale, we're specifically looking for people that have ridden that rocket ship before. Yeah. Um, they've done successful fundraising. They've maybe done M&A uh, so that we can we can ensure that we have those skill sets in-house at the senior level. And, you know, Robin and I can continue to focus on strategy and BD mm-hmm. and other things that only we can do. But, you know, having very seasoned professionals, you know, at the helm of, of you know, sort of the ops and the finance portion of the company is something that the board is very supportive of, and um, we're we're really excited to bring these people on board. Um, so the CFO position is open. The COO position, you know, there's an offer letter out. I, uh, I think I'm, I hope to cool. make an announcement about about that person um, in the coming week. Very cool. Um, is this the kind of business? I, I'm ignorant to how 
like what an exit looks like for investors in a company like Pearl. Is this the kind of business mm-hmm. that would eventually go public or is it more of a strategic investment um, and acquisition opportunity? I definitely think it is a business that could go public if we are successful in achieving the sorts of numbers that are in our pro forma. Um, an IPO is is certainly an, an option. I recognize that those are extremely rare, so I, I'm I'm not I don't mean to be flippant about that, but given the nature of the business, and by the way, we are a public benefits corporation. We do see ourselves acting in the public interest with the the work that we're doing. Um, but given the 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 size of the markets that we're dealing with, it it is definitely an option and an aspiration. In terms of an acquisition, though, I think Pearl is an interesting company for a number of different types of verticals. If you are a data company, we are going to have proprietary data on homes that you will not be able to get through the public record. And and that could be really valuable to lots of different types of, you know, sort of data-focused companies. I'd love to dig in a little bit to lessons learned along your journey here. Was there any advice that you feel like you got early on that served as foundational insight that in hindsight really did set you up for success thus far? One of the pieces of advice that I heard frequently was things always cost more than you think they will and take longer than you think they will. And I heard that repeatedly from an investor who's who's still with us today and be damned if he wasn't right. So I I think as an entrepreneur, just just start with that as your as your your opening mindset. It it will probably yeah. be true. And um, it may be hubris to think otherwise. Um, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That You're was, lucky if it proves otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You you probably are. And and the other thing. Wow. There's a a book from Ben Horowitz called The Hard Things About Hard Things or The Hard Thing About Hard right. Things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember yep. listening to that book on audio after I had already been through a few hard things. And it was really validating, you know, to understand that here's a person who had been immensely successful in their career and yeah. had gone through, um, you know, the sort of gut-wrenching, soul-searching moments that I know myself and Robin had gone through over the course of this business because, mm-hmm. yeah, there have been some scary moments. And I, my, my advice for founders who will inevitably face one or more of those moments is, is – it really is about assuming you have a good product. Like you, you can't, you literally can't sell. You can't force the market to take something the market doesn't want. Yeah. I want to, I want right. to put a, a caveat out there, but you will inevitably face a really hard moment, and uh, you gotta, you gotta dig deep and you gotta lead. I, I think one of the the most important things that a founder can do is kind of hold everything together when it really wants to fall apart. That bit, that book has been recommended a lot in uh, the course of 600 plus episodes on Suncast. Um, I, in fact, uh, just looking at Amazon now real, and seeing that I originally purchased it in 2014 and have, uh, and have referred back to it often um, in my entrepreneurial journey. What other books have shaped your uh, or influenced your sort of thought process or leadership style that you recommend to others? Essentialism from Greg McCown is another mm. really important one. I yeah. think particularly for founders when you're in the throwing spaghetti at the wall phase and and you may have a lot mm. of things you're juggling 
Essentialism was a really great book. We will pay for anyone on Pearl staff to read it. <laughs> we'll buy them the book, I should say, because uh, we, we know that we struggle with that given the complexity of our business model. Yeah. Uh, Measure What Matters wow. from John Doerr is another good one. Uh, yes. Just mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, your organization, operations, things like that. Lean Startup, classic. Uh, if, you know, fail fast, fail early, get your hypotheses out there, test, test, test. Um, and then, you know, one that I really like that's on a much more personal side is Braiding Sweet Gas, Sweet Grass Sweet by grass, yeah. Robin Wall Kimmerer, which to me is sort of like the, why do I care about what I'm doing in the first place? How can I have a, a, a positive impact? So those are books that I talk about. I, I just want to underscore, uh, I, I love that you just recommended Braiding Sweet Grass. My wife is going to love to know that you did because- I'd never heard of it until my children started telling me about this book that we listen to audiobooks all the time. They're addicted uh-huh. to audiobooks. Uh, go figure. Had this book that they had been listening to called Braiding Sweetgrass. And it um, it really, I'm curious now, I'm going to have to go back and listen. I've listened to um, sort of portions of it with my kids, but I haven't connected the dots in the way that you have. So I'm going to go back and listen to it now with the perspective that this is a book that Cynthia Adams has recommended. <laughs> well, thank you. I hope you my kids are listening to that. My wife somewhere found some. I, I hope you'll share with me what your thoughts are, Nico, after you've had a chance to, to give yeah. a listen. Absolutely. Um, uh, as we bring this to a close, as we must, unfortunately, I want to give folks the opportunity as I'm sure they will like to, to reach out and connect with you. Where do you like to be found? Where is it easiest for folks to engage with you and with Pearl? So Pearl's website is pearlcertification.com. And if you are in any way interested in becoming a network partner, because you come from a trade or a business that that could benefit from working mm-hmm. alongside us, I would say uh, go ahead and feel free to learn more about how we work with different customers on our website. And um, we have ways for you to get in touch with us there. Uh, I like to be talked to via email as, as opposed to text or a phone call. So Cynthia at pearlcertification.com is how you can find me. Gotcha. Perfect. Well, we'll link to both of those as well as your LinkedIn account. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's show. another option for sure. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, let's end as we always do with uh, what we call a bold prediction. And I am, uh, I'm curious from your perspective as a platform and market maker, what do you see as the critical path obstacle that we need to overcome to really unlock the true potential for home performance value and homeowners appreciating and enjoying that value long-term. So this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I believe that we need very clear market signals from home insurance and lenders that they understand the risk associated with these homes today and 50 years from now, or let's just say 30 years, which is the life of the usual mortgage. Right now, the mortgage rates um, don't accurately reflect the, the risk associated with certain properties, nor, well, I think insurance is in a different place. You see insurers pulling out of places like California and Florida because they understand all too well the climate risks that are in play. But I think that homeowners are 
are kind of being given mixed signals about how much or whether or not they should care about resilience measures or performance, you know, solar efficiency measures, water efficiency, depending upon where in the U.S. you live, because um, we've been able to kind of band-aid over the risk. And and so I think if we really want to accelerate the energy transition, we want people to live better, healthier, higher quality lives in the homes that they're at, the sort of financing community that's in, in the real estate industry in particular needs to wake up and uh, begin to understand the risk to their businesses if they don't. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm going to rephrase it slightly. Um, I'm just, I was listening, uh, I usually will try to write my own version of what you're saying and um, think through it. And mortgage rates don't accurately reflect the risk of certain properties, but they also don't reward yes. the choices homeowners make to improve their assets as high performance, climate resilient homes. Yes. Well said, Nico. Thank you. Pearl can help you do that. Cynthia Adams is the co-founder and CEO of Pearl Certification. Hopefully you will take some time to go connect with her on LinkedIn. You'll find all that you need to do that in the show notes. Cynthia, I look forward to having you back on and uh, I look forward to hearing all the wonderful things that are to come with Pearl. Thank you for coming on Suncast. Thank you so much. And thank you for a, a thoughtful conversation and a set of questions, Nico. It was my pleasure. Hey, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate that you made it all the way to the end of this episode with Cynthia. And I know that there are some big takeaways for some of you, especially those of you in the residential sector. As I may have mentioned, I've come to see Pearl as an essential tool. I've mentioned in the past companies like Connector, like, why are you using these things? And at less than 50 bucks per deal, this is easily the kind of thing that can be integrated into a proposal and help seal the deal. Other installers are doing hundreds of these a month incorporated right into their deals, not taking other sales commissions or anything else. Uh, if you would like to explore Pearl as an option, I would strongly encourage you to go check them out. I'm really grateful for Cynthia and the time that she gave us. We have asked if Pearl would set up a page to welcome you guys. You can get to that by going to mysuncast.com forward slash Pearl, P-E-A-R-L, mysuncast.com forward slash Pearl. Hey, by the way, because I know that you're an infinite learner just like me, you might be looking for other notes like the book recommendations and so much more that we talked about in this episode. In fact, she mentioned a book that I do hope that you get a chance to listen to, and I've heard it myself. My kids are big fans called Braiding Sweetgrass. If you want a link to that or LinkedIn uh, connection with Cynthia, you can find all that in the episode notes, which is also... Not surprisingly, at mysuncast.com. It's also linked in the description wherever you are watching or listening to this. So please take a moment and go explore deeper. This is a topic that I think is going to help expand and improve the residential solar sector. So please lean in. I hope that you'll come back again next week, as always, for our twice weekly content just like this. Tactical, practical advice on Tuesdays and deep dive executive profiles of fabulous innovators on the front lines of the clean energy transition just like cynthia every thursday and i'd like to thank our sponsors certainly last and not last but not least who help make this content free to you each and every week i'm so grateful that others have invested into this platform so that you can grow and learn with us here on suncast you can learn more about them at mysuncast.com 
right on our homepage or hit on that sponsor tab or go to forward slash sponsors and learn how you could work with us to get your message out to thousands of clean tech champions and solar warriors just like yourself. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.